How many of you got, of you, is this your first time to Wednesday at the Rock? I don't think, ah! My father, guys, is right here in the blue shirt. This is my dad. I'm like, no, this is, no, it is your first time to Wednesday night at the Rock. So, welcome, welcome. Thank you guys for being here. Um, we have, in this season, shifted this service to focus on crying out to the Lord in prayer for the things that are on his heart that he wants to do. There is a dynamic in Scripture and in the kingdom of God that God has dreams, God has plans, God has purposes, but he wants a bride that partners with him in his purposes and cries out to him to accomplish his purposes in the earth. And that is our privilege as the bride of Christ. That's our privilege as the kingdom of God and his subjects. And it's really amazing that the God who could do it all invites us to partner with him. I kind of see it as the, the, uh, the relationship between the Trinity in creation. The Father is on his throne, and he has full power to make everything. He doesn't need the Son. He doesn't need the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is hovering over the waters, and the Spirit has full power to create everything. He doesn't need the Father. He doesn't need the Son. Same thing, way with Jesus. But I picture the dream and the plan that's in the Father's heart and the Spirit that's hovering over the waters ready to create. They're waiting on the Son of God to speak the Word. They're waiting on Jesus to say, let there be light. And there was light. And in that relationship in the Trinity, power goes forth and creation comes forth. And we get invited into that relationship. We are in the Beloved. We are in the Son. We are one with Jesus. We are His brother. We are the Son of God. And as we lift our voice and look in the Word as, what he, as to what He wants to do and also are aware in our spirits with the prophetic words that have been spoken over this house, as we put those on our mouth and ask God to do it, He will do more than if we did not ask Him. That's just the principle of Scripture. He does more for His people when they ask Him. Now, He's still God, He's still sovereign, and He still is in control. But He says, to the hungry, I will give. To the thirsty, I will give. Those who are crying out to Me. And so, we're going to cry out to the Lord tonight, amen? Our theme for tonight is going to be Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So if you have your Bible, this is kind of where we're going for the majority of the night. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. This is a, what's called an apostolic prayer. How many of you guys have heard that term, an apostolic prayer? Good. It's just a prayer in the New Testament. There's the great high priestly prayer of John 17. There's Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, the way he taught us to pray. And then there's different prayers that the apostles prayed, and many of them are Paul's. There's a few in Hebrews. Most were recorded by Paul. And we actually have a picture into the prayer life of the early church. One, what's amazing is we have a picture into the prayer life of Jesus. I mean, John 17, we went through that during our study in the book of John. Amazing that we have the recorded prayer of the great high priest praying 
for us. But I think it's also amazing that we have the recorded prayer of Paul's prayer life, the way he was praying for the early church. And so we're going to use sometimes, some, some of our time in our Wednesday night to let the Word of God disciple us in prayer. I have just committed to the Lord since I was a young man that I'm going to let the Word disciple me in prayer. And if I don't understand the things that they are asking for in the Word of God, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal them to me. Because some of their language is a little different. Some of the things that they're asking for is a little different than our normal prayer life, okay? So, let's get into this. I'm going to teach maybe just for seven to ten minutes, and then the whole rest of the night is going to be spent in worship and then praying these passages to God, okay? So, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, it says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, now being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the first question I ask when I read this prayer is, who is Paul praying to? Who is he crying out to? And we get it right in verse 14. He's crying out to the Father. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. It's amazing how the prayers of the New Testament kind of all fit each other in some way. So Paul's obeying the command of Jesus, and he's crying out, as Jesus commanded, to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then the second phrase, it's the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Now, in Hebrew, the name meant way more than just distinguishing someone. It was the way of revealing the inner being or why the person even existed. So, for God to give creatures a name was not simply to provide them with a label. He didn't call a tiger just a tiger, but he brought them forth into their existence as to who they were. So Paul, in this verse, is saying that the Father is the creator of all living beings so that their existence and their significance depended on him. So he's crying out, Father, from whom every family in heaven, every creature in heaven, every being in heaven, and every being on earth, every family on earth, that derives its name from him. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. That's exactly what Paul is praying here. Father, from whom everything came from, and then he gets into his petition. So what's Paul praying for in Ephesians chapter 3? Well, first, he's praying to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in his inner being. It says that in, in uh, I think it's in verse 15. I forgot to put the scripture references. I just have the paragraph right there. But he says this, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in 
your inner being. So first, Paul is asking for strength. He wants them to be made strong. And then he's asking that they would be made strong with God's power. Now this word for power is dunamis power. It's the power of God. It's the power to work miracles. It's the power to be joined to him and to be united with him. It's the power to endure. I mean, the New Testament is filled with this word, and the Old Testament actually, dunamis power, a different word in the Hebrew. So as Paul says, you need strength. This strength is going to come by his power, and this power is going to be released through his spirit in your inner being. Now, when I think of the inner man or the inner being, I think of the interior of who I am. I think of the seat of my personal consciousness, if you will, or my moral being. So what happens in our inner man is what determines the quality of our fellowship with God. And it's actually the only thing we can bring with us in the age to come. So we're going to get a new body in heaven. We're going to get a new body on earth. But the thing that will transfer is our inner man. And Paul's asking for strength to be released in the, in the Ephesian church in their inner man. I think of 1 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It says this. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's the same idea, the inner being, the inner self. And it's renewed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, as we gaze on Jesus. But Paul is also saying here, it's also renewed as you cry out for the Holy Spirit to release dunamis power in your inner man. Now, we pray for many things in the church, but how often do we pray for our inner man to have strength? Now, I think this is important because Ephesians, I'm not First Corinthians, Ephesians 3 has a progression here. So the second question we ask is, so why do we need the Holy Spirit to make us strong with God's power in our inner man? And we get that in the next phrase here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So strength is released, dunamis power, by the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And Paul says, what that will get you is Christ manifesting his presence in your heart. Or Christ dwelling permanently in your heart. And the correlation that I like to think here is in John 15. Jesus says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. I think of that strength, power, Holy Spirit being released to my inner man as that abide in me. Jesus is saying, do this to abide in me, and I will abide in you. That phrase, so that Christ may dwell in your heart, I like to think Christ's manifest presence being released in my heart. His thoughts being released in my mind. His love being released in my heart. His emotions being released in my soul. And his strength being released in my body. And then we move on. So why do we need Christ's thoughts? Why do we need Christ's love, Christ's emotions, Christ's strength dwelling permanently within us? And Paul answers that question. You need this so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So what I see here is two things. 
Christ manifesting his presence in our hearts so that we can, one, comprehend the love of Christ, and two, experience the love of Christ that, that surpasses knowledge. So one has to do with actually knowing what we're getting into here, comprehending the depths of his love. And I love how Paul talks about it here. It's like Christ's love is like concrete and it has dimensions. It's real. It's not this ethereal thing that we think of. Paul's talking like you can measure this. It has height. It has depth. It has breadth. It has width. You can jump in and you can experience his love. So he says Christ is going to manifest his presence in our hearts, and we are going to have power in our minds to comprehend his love. And then secondly, we are going to have power to experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, or to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, I think this knowing is an intimate experience with the love of Christ. I don't think it's a head thing. I actually think it's a, it's a heart thing. It's an experiential thing. To experience the love of Christ in a way that goes beyond mere information. How many of you have had encounters with the Holy Spirit, encounters in the Word, encounters with God that go beyond just mere information? And if you haven't had that, that is your promise as a believer. And that's why Paul is praying for the church of Ephesus. He's like, I want them to experience Jesus' love. They've heard about it. But I want them to grow in ways of experiencing his love. Again, I believe this is speaking of an intimate encounter with the love of God. We all need experiences with God's love, and they will happen more often if we cry out for them. Hallelujah. He actually gives us access. It says in chapter 2 in Ephesians that we have access to God now, that the wall of separation has come down, and you have access to cry out. And Paul, I think, is encouraging us to cry out for strength so that God's presence is manifested in our heart so that we're comprehending his love in the word. We're comprehending his love in different ways, and we're experiencing his love in different ways. And why, the last question here, why do we need to comprehend and experience Christ's love for us I mean, Paul pulls out this phrase, it's so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul had a very high vision in his Christian walk. He wanted to be filled with the fullness of God, and that's what he's praying for the church of Ephesus. Now, when I think of this word, filled with the fullness of God, or this phrase, I like to pray it as, God, I want all that you have for me. I want all the unity you have for me. I want all the maturity that you have for me. I want to be conformed into the image of Christ. I want to reach for that high calling of God. I don't want to settle. I don't want to back down. I want to be hungry. I want to be thirsty. And I want to be filled with all that you have. I want all of my inheritance on this side. I know I'm going to attain it on that side. But I actually want to experience it on this side. And that's what Paul's saying. We can experience that. We can be filled with the fullness of God that he has for our lives. Isn't that beautiful? So after Paul prays that, then he goes to, Now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything 
that we can ask or think. So we just asked for big things, to comprehend and to experience love that surpasses our knowledge, that the actual presence in the mind and the emotions of Christ would be manifested in our heart and the dunamis power of God filling us by the Holy Spirit in our inner being. Those are big phrases. Those are big asks. It's like when you went to the toy store with your mom and dad when you were little and you would look on the top row with all of the like expensive toys. Do you guys ever remember that? And you like point to the top row. You guys don't remember this? You guys remember this? Going to the toy store? No? Maybe not? Okay. Well, the toy store that we went to, my mom and dad are in the room. They would want me to look low, okay? They would want me to look at like the, the $2 figurines, but my eyes would always go up to like the big remote control boat at the top. They didn't want any kids to get their hands on that or break it before someone bought it. And I would look up and be like, can I have that? And they would want to buy it for me. I know that they would. If my grandmothers was that were there, they would buy it for me. And then my parents would be like, don't ask for that. Basically, Paul has his eye on the top shelf. He's asking for the big things. And then he says, you have a God who can even give you more than what I'm asking for right here. He can give you far more, far above what you can imagine, what you can ask or what you can think. And he wants to give it to you for the glory of his son, it continues in verse 21, and for the glory of his name. He actually wants you to have all of these things because you're going to bring glory to the Father through it. It's that John 15 thing. You will bring glory when you ask in the Father's name when fruit comes from your life and he gives you the answer to your prayers. So, we have a God that wants to answer us tonight. Amen? Amen.